Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. This episode brings you our latest EG interview in audio form. Each week in print and online, journalists from across EG sit down with major players in the sector to find out a little more about them and their businesses in the aim to bring you a little insight and, dare I say it, a touch of entertainment. This week, I got to dial into a team call with the outgoing Homes England Chief Executive Nick Walkley to talk about the impact he has had at the government agency and what happens next. Nick announced that he was stepping down from Homes England on Twitter last month. The tweet was immediately met with an outpouring of praise. Most would be flattered and maybe a little bit embarrassed. Nick, on the other hand, was a little bit annoyed. I found all of that, I mean, a wee bit embarrassing. This, uh, and I say this, I don't say that in a disingenuous way. Um, I've never really bought the great leader, person at the top centric view of the way an organisation works. Uh, so sort of then to step down and find loads of people telling you what a great leader you've been and how you've made a big change just feels feels a bit like maybe people have missed the point. And, you know, what I've been trying to do is to create an organisation with really great people in it who are capable of delivering the sort of profound change that the housing sector and the residential sector needs more generally. I also... Uh, uh, um, I, I came into public service at a moment when there were a lot of very senior figures in local government who were doing things that were very consciously legacy projects. And I found all of that really difficult because it tended to get in the way of the right thing, just doing the thing. Uh, so uh, talking about uh, uh, what do I think I've achieved is is fairly difficult. Um uh, but I would say, I guess there's two bits to this. Uh, the first is, uh, I think everybody recognises that Homes England has got real talent and real capability and capacity. And the opportunity that presents for the sector and for government is is profound. And I think there's a widespread view that this is, you know, uh, uh, that an institution is needed and an institution with commercial and public sector skills. And... Uh, people being attracted to that and that's fantastic and really really important and long may it continue um and i I think the second is sort of really importantly for me we've we've demonstrated that you can really really think carefully about who you are who you recruit and what your values are and still be really sharp and commercial about that uh you know so uh, i think I think uh, there's not a person now in the sector who doesn't know what my view is of uh, the sector's approach to equalities, diversity and a whole range of wider issues. And, you know, and not blowing smoke, but fair play to EG and others for really getting their teeth into that. Um, But we've been able to make pretty solid and steady progress on those things and gradually growing confidence in saying things in that space without sort of then looking like we're soft and woolly. This is, of course, exactly what makes Nick such a great leader and why he got such an outpouring of love on Twitter. Ask him what he hopes his legacy will be and he'll look at you as if you just told him your favourite band is Dire Straits. Ask him about what purpose and you'll get a whole other Nick. Someone who can't help but be proud of what Homes England has come to represent. Someone who can't help even to be just a little bit proud of the role he's had to play in that. 
Nick joined Homes England, then called the Homes and Communities Agency, in 2017 from Haringey Council, where he'd been Chief Executive for four years. Prior to Haringey, he was Chief Executive of Barnet Council. And just a cursory look back over those roles reveals that transformation is something that Nick leaves in his wake. Not that he'd let you say that about him, of course. But Homes England has been transformed, and it has been transformative. It has delivered houses, created public-private partnerships, successful ones, and has become something of a poster child for what good can look like. And for Nick, that success has come because the agency has focused on doing the right thing, not just doing something because that's what legacy dictates. The number one right thing for Homes England to be doing is enabling the delivery of home. That, Nick tells me, is its purpose. We've built a lot of houses. That's the important thing, getting more organisations to build more homes. Uh, and there's there's a lot more of that happening and happening incredibly. And that's really important. We're totally obsessed about delivery. So, you know, we're in the year end period at the moment. And there is probably not a person in the organisation you know, from a policy officer to an economist's analyst who isn't doing something that isn't about cranking that handle. And I mean, I just thought it's it's bleeding obvious, isn't it? That uh, if you're in this sector and you're not actually about putting keys in someone's hand, then you should probably go and do something else. And connecting people to that purpose, I've just found it's really, really straightforward. And if you can talk at that level about, we also would want to get more homes built. It's It's been surprising uh, how shocking, particularly private sector partners have seen that as an attitude from us. But it feels really, really important. And uh, what's totally entertaining uh, is just the amount of sort of raw pleasure the organisation takes from just getting getting deals done. A senior civil servant said to me once, one of your problems as an organisation is your deals junkies. And <laughs> I just don't see that as a problem. I think it's fantastic that we're kind of always trying to get another one over the line. And I like that impatience. It's really important. Since Nick took over as Chief Executive at Homes England, the agency has enabled the delivery of more than 110,000 homes, and that's excluding 2020's figures. Not a bad achievement when during that time there have been six housing ministers to potentially meddle with their output. But while the industry bemoans the constant merry-go-round of housing ministers, Nick is a little bit more purposeful in his reflection. He won't mind me saying this, but uh, the current housing minister asked me, sir, uh, what have you learned? Nick, in your time doing this job, to which my immediate response was, there were a lot of housing ministers. So I've had six, Gavin, in my very early days, Alok, Dominic Rabb, Esther, Kit, and uh, Chris Pincher. Um, So I think the first thing I've learned about that is, uh, and look, I would say this to the whole sector, The sector needs to be careful not to underestimate the extent to which housing ministers themselves are well aware that they're the next one in a very long queue and figuring out how you have impact and do things and not look a bit daft in the face of this huge sector is really challenging and difficult for them. And they're well aware of that. 
uh, and they also want to make an impact. They don't just want to be another one in the list. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, it's not been hard, given what's in the portfolio, to find common space and things that could, we could be doing and to help nudge the agenda forward. Uh, and whether it's been, you know, Dominic Rabb and his real interest in how does the how do we get more out of public land and his real determination to do that, uh, to, uh, you know, Esther's commitments around modernising construction. I mean, these are all important issues and demonstrate there's enough to get your teeth into. Uh, and, and, you know, I do worry at times that the sort of shrug of the shoulders of here's another one. Uh, well, they're aware of that as well, you know. These are talented and capable people, and it's a, you know, it's not the easiest card to play, and we could do more to support them more quickly in that space. For him, those ideas are what needs supporting, and for him, that's why an agency like Homes England has such a huge role to play. I remain absolutely convinced that uh, the country needs a stable institution that sees beyond funding cycles or political cycles or even organisational cycles because let's be honest in my time as chief exec huge numbers of the well-known figures have been and gone uh, and you've been reporting a kind of a quite a sea change in the past sort of six months uh, uh, and somebody and some organisation needs to keep the eyes fixed on those bigger strategic plays you know so um, I've been involved since my second week here in the work down in Bristol at Temple Meads. That's, you know, not about an individual spending review or a particular decision. That's about commitment for the next 20 years to an entire city and an entire place. And that requires really solid political leadership. But it also requires coherent planning, coherent strategy that's going to flex over time. All of those things. And I think uh, you know, you're always going to need somebody who's prepared to put their flag into that stuff and keep moving it forward. And and in some cases, that's going to be a combined authority. In other cases, it's going to be the council. But the things of real scale, you probably need national scale backing as well. And that's that's I think where we can uh, add some uh, real real heft. Uh, likewise, you know, um, on design and sustainability. I mean, I'd say really, really strongly, we're just as an organisation in the foothills, but so is the sector of what's to come over the next 10 and 15 years as we begin to deal with these agenda. Uh, And that will require learning and working together, but actually some pretty solid ongoing support. And that's where deals like those Homes England has secured with Japanese modular housing specialist Sekasui and Sweden's Boklok come in. Transformational deals that Nick hopes will lead others to follow suit and deliver an increase in the use of modern methods of construction, better design principles and more sustainable homes. Through the new affordable housing uh, funding settlement where uh, the agency is going to work with the CLG and government and ministers on ratcheting up expectations around uh, MMC contribution. Uh, And that's being really, really clear uh, that we can't continue as we are and we shouldn't actually be making the problem worse. I mean, it would be mad, wouldn't it, to have a significant increase in funding for affordable housing and only just fuel price demand in certain sectors. You know, this is an area for leadership. 
Um, I think on design, it is absolutely fair comment that the agency has a troubled legacy. You know, not everything it has built is of it's been supported of is in plans that everyone can be proud of. And I spent sort of my first five months kind of with a lot of people being quite cathartic, you know, as they said, you know, this isn't this just isn't working at the moment. And I think what we've shown is, you know, uh, design for life, the 12 retraining, uh, that it's not been hard to then convince even some of the most recalcitrant majors that there are steps you can take that lead you on a journey and you can accelerate that as you go. Uh, and I think that's exactly where we've got to be and we need to get there quickly on design, uh, it being more inclusive, homes being built for lifetimes, being part of community, caring about place. Uh, with the coder, let's not think that because we care about place, we know place and therefore we can tell people what's good for them. That's a really dangerous space to get into and something I worry about virtually every day of the week, running a big central agency. You know, we are just big. That shouldn't mean overbearing, it should mean supportive, but uh, you've got to put local people, local politicians, local developers in control. Uh, uh, I think on sustainability, I think the, the industry is in danger of convincing itself it can get away with this, that sort of dragging its feet a little, Raising questions puts the day off. Uh, it's coming. It's coming hard. It's coming fast. And I think, you know, we've got to cluster around what are the solutions that work now and how do we implement them into homes? So, you know, I think we're moving to an era where we're question about how does the country build simple, sustainable, well-designed homes? Because all the other stuff, the bespoking, the what works in, that follows off the back of that. And some of those questions are coming really thick and fast now. And lots of, I think, developers and house builders are actually internally asking those questions. Uh, you have to have these conversations somewhere and they may be tentative to start with, but uh, we've got to move. And, we're, you know, the last thing we want uh, is to be on the back end of government telling people what to do. Mm. You know, my line is, if you're asking government for guidance, it's not a great space to be in, is it? I think um, we've got to show that we're prepared not just to talk, but to put uh, real resource and sort of risk-based judgments behind uh, getting to scale. Uh, and that's sometimes no more than the government badge, or it can be bringing partners together. I mean, there's something about to my deep frustration, we've ended up with these sort of signature deals that people have alighted on for whatever reason. I'm as interested in just the quiet brokerage that keeps the existing MMC factories growing to scale through work with housing associations. They're sending a planner to rework a proposal with a developer to get more affordable housing in. You know, that stuff's as important and there's another form of leadership see my earlier conversation uh, but look we were really conscious when doing the seki su deal that this was a way of us saying we are really serious about this and there will be disruptive elements to what we're doing and you'll have seen you know and we've been kind of on the sidelines sort of nodding that dewa 
are now entering the UK market as well uh, with a Dutch investor. Um, and that's exactly what we want. You know, this clustering effect so that there's also competition and contestability. Uh, and hopefully that forces the whole sector to think through the way it builds and what it builds. And, and just more choice and diversity has got to be good for the market, especially when you think about, you know, by God, we've got to figure out what we do with town centres, with shopping centres. You know, uh, that's not just going to come from sitting and looking at our neighbours. We're going to have to look externally and we're going to have to find different partners. It's that not navel gazing and looking for different partners that's something that's enabled Homes England to deliver on the other great issue facing the industry today, diversity and inclusion. The agency is not only working on equality, diversity and inclusion from within its ranks. Nick says he'd love to see a woman take over and from him when he leaves his role at the end of this month. But it's also calling on its private sector partners to do the same. Potential partners that cannot show commitment to DNI will be excluded from future procurement panels. Here's Nick talking about that realisation of just how male real estate was. I just found it really, really difficult and really, really un- un- unsettling. And of course, you just do that thing of begin to talk to people and you found other people who are unsettled. And then you realise, you know, at the moment when we're going to grow, if you don't grow in a way that reflects who you're building for and where you're building, you will get it wrong and you will get it more wrong. Uh, and so I just I just thought it was really, really important that we take our own measured steps, but also be really clear there was a plan behind it. It's dead easy to publish a DNI statement, but, you know, I think we're going to get our pay gap down in uh, single digits for the median, having it been in the high 20s. And that's just hard managerial grind the stuff that everybody does for their balance sheet doing it for this as well watching the numbers understanding your decisions knowing where your talent is you know it isn't a different skill set this is just about really robust leadership and management and using it to your advantage Uh, the big bonus has been the emergence of really powerful uh, leadership voices inside the organisation. So, you know, shout out to Shahi Islam from the affordable housing team. I don't know if you follow his Twitter thread, but it is a fantastic example of, you know, somebody both using their platform, but actually beginning to open up about their experiences. Uh, we've a neurodiversity network that is having huge influence on Rick's and others, the way they think about uh, their platform. And it's that stuff not just making the numbers work, but having people who share these value set. And, you know, I say it all the time. I want people to leave Homes England because I want them to go and work elsewhere and kind of spread a little bit of what we think elsewhere in the sector. And we want like-minded people to come and spend time with us as well. I don't think this is a debate. This is more of an implementation question for me now for the sector. So Nick wants people to leave Homes England and spread what they've learned throughout the sector. Is that why he's leaving after just four years in the role and when there's still so much work to be done in delivering homes across the country? Does he believe he has more to give elsewhere? The the great privilege has been to lead an organisation with purpose. And there's loads around about purpose-driven organisations, but actually when you're inside one, crikey, it's really energising and exciting and fulfilling. Uh, and I guess, you know, what, what I'm really interested in next is uh, 
finding that purpose. I, I care passionately, as I think people know about sort of social aspiration, social mobility. I worry profoundly about uh, access to housing, about the status and structure of the property market. And I'm kind of really interested in what that means and how I might be able to have more impact in that space. Now, while I know that would, of course, be a really great place to leave this interview, as Nick has shown us exactly why he got all of those outpourings on Twitter about him having him leaving really big shoes to fill. It, this wouldn't be an interview with Nick Walkley if we didn't talk about music. Sadly, I have really terrible taste in music, so don't expect anything insightful from me for these last few minutes. But do enjoy this little light-hearted sign-off from myself and Nick. And don't forget that you can read the interview too in your latest issue of EG or online at egi.co.uk forward slash news. But for now, here's some Billy Joel, some Dire Straits and some Tom Bloxham musical bombshells. Unfortunately, I've got into having resisted for 30-odd years um, I've started listening to jazz. Oh no. Which given my music nerdery is like jumping into another wormhole, which my poor family are dreading the reopening of record stores because you know the parcels are coming thick and fast anyway. Um they're beginning to regret me moving away from Dex's Midnight Runners, which I know is an E.G. favourite. Well, I know that the first the first time we um, properly met and sat sat down and um, ate some uh, mass produced food and drank some probably quite warm wine. At, um, um, not to do any discredit to the BPS annual annual dinner, but um, I-, I believe you were going you were going to judge me on my um, my first ever record purchase. It's your it's your opening question, isn't it? For for many people, and luckily I think I got away with it with. Um, um, Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. A I'm little really, bit. I'm really pleased you think you got away with it. Oh, but shit. you're kind of rebuilding credit <laughs> since then. Okay, so apart from mine, where I thought I'd done well and clearly I did not, who, maybe you don't have to name names, but you can if you want, who has, um, who's had the worst record choice and what was it and who have you been genuinely impressed by? Uh, so there is a standing joke in the organisation. So when when the agency was created, we did some work with Boston Consulting. It would appear to be a rule that if you're a senior consultant, not just for that organisation, but actually a range of others, you have to be a significant Dire Straits fan. Which I guess, if you're sort of in your mid to late 50s, it is understandable, though not acceptable. But if you're in your mid-20s, you, you need to go and sort of have a deep look at yourself because that's conforming gone completely mad it's just wrong because it's a bit newly shit isn't it i mean <laughs> let's be honest um i suspect that tom bloxham is not as cool as he makes out and probably goes home and listens to shirley bassey you heard it here first <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.